Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the What Podcast. We have a take. We have a take, and so can you. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, found at TCB Biggs on Twitter, and I am so happy to be joined once again by my lovely co-host, Cassidy Gemmett. Cassidy, welcome back. Oh, I'm so excited to be back, but I'm so glad you had so many amazing people to join you while I was kind of out on a uh, little family emergency for the last few weeks. But it sounds like you were joined by some amazing people. I was lucky enough to get some cool people. There are so many cool people out there to talk about basketball with. I mean, like, just sort of like the invention of podcasts just is like the coolest thing because it's like you can find all these people who have all these amazing takes and thoughts that are different than like ESPN and, you know, NBA TV, which are fine, but are just like such a narrow portion of all the thoughts out there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Should we start with our icebreaker? Oh yeah. Um, let's see. We introduced ourselves. I just want to going through like our mental checklist of everything we're supposed to do at the beginning of every episode. I'm trying to get better at it. So, Oh, I gave my Twitter handle. Give yours before we forget. You can find me at Cassidy Gamut. Very well done. Okay. So for today's icebreaker, what we've been doing while we've been gone, um, At your behest, because the last time we talked, you talked about uh, sharing uh, favorite sports moments that you shared with people, uh, because you never know how long your uh, friends and loved ones are going to be around. So that was such a great reminder. And I've been having so much fun just like calling up friends, chatting people, telling people over Facebook Messenger, hey, remember that time? Um, My husband and I were uh, chatting about some of our favorite moments that we um, had together. (laughs) Like when we first, we first initially were like, all we could think of were like bad things. Like, oh, when Wesley Matthews went down or whatever. It's like, no, no, we have to think about good things. So he and I went to a, a game in Utah and it was our first road game and uh, the Blazers won. And it was like the beginning of like this 13 game winning streak or whatever. But um, that's one of my favorite memories with him as have, you know, having traveled and, and done it together. And it was a really wonderful experience. So that's one of my favorite shared memories. How about you? Okay. So I will pick a husband one too. Um, for a lot of the most amazing Blazer moments in my relationship with my husband, I have been in the arena with my dad and he has been at home watching the game um, because that's how tickets work. Um, When someone in the family has two season tickets and there's only two seats and one of them goes to the person who has the season tickets um, and the rest of us fight over the one ticket. Um, So I was in the, I was in the building for the Dame Houston shot, but for the Dame OKC shot, I was not in the building. My mom got the seat for the day. And I actually ended up really being very grateful for that because it was one of the first times in a big blazer moment that me and my husband were standing in the living room together, just celebrating. The neighbor was lighting off fireworks. We were running around. And it was so fun to get to enjoy that moment, even though I wasn't get, I didn't get to be in the building for it. It was so fun to enjoy that moment with him because... He wasn't really a Blazers fan when we met. And now 12 years later, I've has him in super fandom. So, you know, progress. 
<laughs> so I think that's definitely one of my favorites. That's an awesome memory. I love it. Um, yeah, I can't wait to, you know, build up more memories. And, uh, you know, we've had some, we've watched games together. Unfortunately, one of them was a very sad memory. Yeah. Uh, we watched the the game that Nurkic broke his leg. Yeah. That was a rough game. We were also surrounded by children. So trying to distract children who are going to their first Blazer game while it being quite possibly the worst Blazer game ever. Um, And then being like, yeah, now let's sit through three overtime. I remember distinctly you saying uh, at the beginning or halfway through the second overtime, I remember you turning to me and going, think of the children. Think of these poor children. And then it just got darker from there. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't wait to get back in the arena and you and I can make better, (laughs) better memories together. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. Um, Yeah. But I think there's also the excitement, I think, for me of the holiday season being kind of weird this year, but we're still going to get basketball. So, like, I don't know. My whole holiday can basically revolve around basketball because I don't have to jump from house to house to see people because it's not safe right now. And so I'm not going to be doing that. And maybe I'll be throwing a Christmas in July if it's safe. But until then, I will be watching basketball. Um, and I'm pretty excited about having memories created on the screen for us this year and kind of in a, in a new way, because I think a lot of people are going to be away from their families. So I think that's going to be exciting too. an added element of this crazy 2020. Yeah, you know, I think part of this year and this pandemic is that I think has been interesting is us trying to like deal with our mental health in addition to what, you know, trying to preserve our physical health is is doing to us by like separating us from people and not allowing us to do the things that they love. And it's just it's just so hard to like. Like, the bubble brought so much joy. Like, I was not expect. Like, I knew that we needed something just so that we didn't all, like, go crazy (laughs) Um, from just, like, lack of excitement or lack of anything to talk about or whatever. And, you know, there was so much going on in the world. Um, But I just – it makes me so nervous um, this season uh, that's coming up. What do you think? I am unbelievably nervous. I'm nervous that it's not a bubble. I am nervous that there are so many different regulations depending on the states that you are in. Um, I'm nervous about travel. Um, but I'm putting my uh, my faith behind the fact that they, they figured out a bubble before everybody else. They figured it out. They executed it extremely well. So I'm going to hope and watch cautiously in the first few weeks of this season to hope that the NBA really took the time that they needed to figure out everything that they needed to make sure that this is safe. And as doubtful as I might be, I want to maintain that hope until I'm proven wrong. Cause I think they, they earned a level of respect from a health standpoint when they pulled off something that I really didn't think they were going to pull off. I really thought we were going to start a bubble and it was going to be three or four weeks. And it was going to be like, we have to shut this down. So the fact that they pulled off that, I'm like, okay, let's see what they're going to pull off next. And as long as everybody's healthy, 
I'm for it. I'm hoping that they also do as a league, make sure that players are getting full heart testing. If they have tested positive for COVID, Mm -hmm. Um, it is extremely important. It is something that the WNBA had already put in place, something that the NCAA has put in place. Um, It is vital. Uh, We don't know what COVID does to your heart. Someone who survived COVID, I still have heart problems 10 months later. I'm really hoping that because of the high level of medical staff that they have, they've thought about this. I'm really hoping all of these players are truly cared for. Mm -hmm. And it is disheartening when I see things like Noah Vonley getting waived right after he tests positive. And I'm like, ugh, like, that shouldn't be happening. But I'm just hoping someone's going to care for him no matter what, even if he's not showing symptoms right now. It doesn't mean there isn't something going on. So that's my little soapbox about COVID. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you're somebody who is living with, you know, living with like something that's we don't know what what's going to mm-hmm. happen. I'm just so glad that you're here and that we're here to talk about basketball. But yeah, it's kind of it's an unknown world and we don't know what the what the lasting effects are going to be. Um, yeah. You know, as far as the Blazers go, I feel like uh, you know, watching other teams watch their star players go do things that are, let's say, not advised by the public health authorities, <laughs> uh, visiting other towns, visiting uh, places where they've specifically been told you're not supposed to go. I feel like the Blazers are uh, a team that has shown that, you know, I don't think we're going to have to worry about that so much with the Blazers. I don't, I, I like to think <laughs> that, that that's not going to be an issue. Um, and I also think this could be like a really special year for the Blazers. And so I really want to make it go. I really want to see it go because I have not been this excited about the team. And I don't even know how long you and I haven't even like really talked of, uh, you know, yeah. so like, how are you feeling after seeing, I, mean, I know it's preseason, yeah. But man, <laughs> I mean, we knew I was excited for Derek Jones Jr. That was that was pretty clear the last time that we talked. Um, I am as excited about Derek Jones Jr. as I was. Um, this is an amazing pickup. And everybody who was like, oh, but he can't shoot. Well, he's shooting and he's doing it well. Mm-hmm. So Look at that. Someone making improvements in the offseason. What players do, especially young players. What a shocker. Like, especially on. coming to Portland and suddenly you're a better three point shooter. It's the coffee. <laughs> uh, but Covington, amazing pickup. Okay. So amazing. In the games that we've seen, I was like, I told my husband, I was like, Oh, that's what they mean by crowding the lanes. <laughs> it's just been that long. And I like I feel like I feel like everybody is playing a little closer together. Not like because they're physically closer together, but because the other team has just a little bit less room to maneuver in. Because of those like giant long arms, like Kent Bazemore had giant long arms, but I don't, Robert Covington's doing something different with his. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and then he just moves a lot. 
on both ends of the court. And it's it's nice to see. Have you know. noticed how much pointing there's been? Pointing, communicating, not creating your own rebounds. <laughs> um, I was um, really uh, watching Cantor, um, especially that first game when he when he started for Nurkic, and he's a guy. He's he's a really good communicator, and yeah. I think like I wonder if that's why you know he got sort of a bad rap um, because maybe he didn't like statistically get the plays or um, you know be in the right place or whatever but with with Portland he's figured out where he needs to go and like him backing up and directing traffic you know has I think really helped and been a really good thing yeah I think it's a really good thing and I think Cantor we may not even see that much of Cantor the more we see of Harry Giles, um, who, oh my goodness, am I so excited that he is reaching some of that potential we've heard about for so long, but not for the sake of us, for the sake of him. Like, he is a player that had so many expectations put on him at such a young age. It was, you're going to be great. You're going to be the, the best. Next you're going to be the number one pick. Like you're going to take over the league and then life happens and injuries happen and there are setbacks and with injuries come mental setbacks a lot of the time. And I think sometimes you need a place to break free after going through those kind of injuries and that kind of disappointment. And I think we're seeing him break free and playing like the player he knew he could be, but I think, that everybody knew he could be, but then was like, oh, but is he going to be it? Like, yeah, he's young. He can do it. Like, and he's so exciting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's funny because the Blazers for a while have had these like really sort of like buttoned up, very serious players. Like Nurkic is kind of like jokey and he kind of mm-hmm. jokes around. And of course, you know, when the guys are on the bench and they're like, you know, and the, and the team is winning and they're having fun or whatever. But, you know, except for, I guess, like, you know, Wenyan Gabriel would be out there and just play with abandon. Um, but we, they haven't had somebody like, um, you know, with high expectations come in, play with abandon and just like so much joy. Um, and like, I don't know, I, I'm a little, you know, I'm, I'm worried about the fact that I'm trying to like temper my expectations with the fact that it's preseason. So like trying to figure Mm -hmm. out like, what's a mirage, you know, what is, what is not going to carry through. And so like one thing that when I talked to Jill was, you know, she talked about him getting in foul trouble a lot and he like, hasn't really shown, you know, any foul trouble yet. So I feel like a little bit of it in the last game, in the last game, in the second, it started, started happening a little bit and it was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So okay. I see that being a little bit bigger issue yeah. during the regular season. And, you know, Stotts, when he does play guys who do make get into foul trouble, he tends to yank them pretty, pretty quickly. You know, there's still Collins needing to come back and work his way into the rotation. But, mm-hmm. but for now, oh, my gosh, it's it's so much fun. 
Yeah. Can you think of anything else though that might like seem, you know, like it's not going to last? I mean, I think we're seeing a lot of certain players that we're not going to see a lot of. We're not going to see baby CJ or CJ <laughs> LB as much as we're seeing him now as, and I mean, he's clearly, he's clearly got a lot of talent, a lot of basketball IQ. He also has a lot of growing to do, but he's a rookie mm-hmm. who didn't get training camp or summer league or anything and has been thrown into chaos. So um, <laughs> great job so far. I mean, but I think we're going to start seeing less of that time. Then I think, then I think we're going to see a little bit more of what is the flow like? Okay. Do we really guard the three point line better? Or is this just what we've been told is going to happen? I want to know about that. That is the exact thing that I was thinking yeah. both games. I was yeah. thinking, okay, I don't really like Blazers are supposed to be so much better on defense. I'm not, and this is Sacramento. I'm not seeing a lot of progress in the three point shooting defense. We will see. Um, I I want to believe it's like it makes so much sense that it would be better based on the additions and all of this, but then sometimes you think things are going to be better and then maybe it's the game plan that doesn't allow it to be at its greatest potential. So sometimes I wonder if maybe, have we brought in a defensive coach yet? I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what, like there were so many like, all-star coaches hired all over the league. I don't even know. I don't even know who's coaching. have added anybody new this year. I don't, yeah. I don't think they have because I don't think they lost anybody. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to see which coach is kind of taking, taking lead in the reins of a lot of the defensive stuff because I know that's not necessarily Terry's focus focus. I mean, obviously he's focused on both ends of the court, but the offensive mind of Terry Stotts is quite wonderful and I enjoy it greatly, but um, I think it'd be interesting to see our defense switch up a little bit. And I think new ideas are always a good ideas to, to just add, add practice and then say, Hey, that worked real well. Let's do that against somebody. Um, I have this so feeling I think, things aren't going to change. I have this feeling yeah. that they're still gonna you know allow a lot of threes they're still not gonna get that many assists and they're still not gonna score that much in transition i would like to see them do more of those last two things um i think if any of those is definitely gonna happen i think it's the transition scoring because i think you got players like covington you've got players like Derek jones jr who are who are going to steal the ball and who are going to run back and you're gonna get a little bit more of those fast break points. And I think, how do I say this without sounding horrible? Um, I can't wait to hear what it is. <laughs> I think with the players on the floor that we have now and our starting lineup now, there are a few pieces of unfocus that we have traded away or have gone away and who have moved to other teams. Former players. And I think those former players who maybe needed another city to, to up their, their focus game in, like in Sacramento, it might be lovely there. Um, I think 
when Damien doesn't have to worry if everyone on the court is going to where they're supposed to be going or if they know where they're supposed to be going, I think you get better transition transitions because you don't have the guards having to tell them where they need to go. And then also you throw in Carmelo Anthony and he just always knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Always. Because he's yeah. Carmelo Anthony. I think also that the second unit is going to be hungry to get transition buckets as well. Like Gary seems to like that. I, there's nothing more than I love. Like for some reason, I love Gary's dribbling. Does he dribble? I love everything about Gary. I, well, me too. But like he, <laughs> there's like something, uh, you know, special about his dribble. And I don't know if it, if it looks like it's, dri- is it just so tight or what? He dribbles like he's mad at the ground. <laughs> like he's like that ball is gonna hit the ground. Like he dribbles with that like intensity of like I don't know. Like when you're teaching little kids to dribble, there's the kids who are like la la la, like I'm bouncing the ball, and then there's the kids that are like oh, I'm gonna pound this ball into the ground and it bounces back up at me. Yeah. And Gary is the kid who was like I'm gonna pound this ball into the ground uh-huh. because like he's just like. Doom! Like that ball is mine. I have control of the ball. The ball is in my possession. I feel like it may be a little bit of. It kind of reminds me slightly of Kenny Anderson, but I think that's just because he might have watched Kenny Anderson dribble so much when he was a child in Portland. So I don't know, but I love it, and I want Gary to do all of the things and have all of the photo shoots in the whole world. <laughs> I know his. He needs to be a model. Like he should just straight up be a model because he clearly loves the camera. <laughs> Loves it. I mean, he should be a photo director also. I think him and Bruce Lee should start like a business of like, we're going to take the most amazing, crazy, fashionable, cool photos ever. And then you can pay us a lot of money for them. And you can look awesome on Instagram. (laughs) I think you've convinced me that I'm wrong about transition. I I think the Blazers are going to get more in transition, but I don't think that they're going to get more assists. And I don't think that they're going to fundamentally change the way they do defense. I'm hoping they're just going to do it better. Yeah. I don't think we need a full fundamental change of defense. We just. They'll just do it better. We need to be aware of more parts of the court sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're going to. I'm hoping they'll be there. They may not get as many rebounds, but I think they're going to get smarter rebounds. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't think they're going to cause as many. Rebounds. Second rebounds. <laughs> yeah. They won't cause as many rebounds. Yeah. They won't, well, they won't make us make us rebound again. We talked a bunch about the Blazers, but I wanted to know if there's anything uh, like league-wide that has piqued your interest in the last recent couple weeks or whatever. I mean, Giannis Antetokounmpo deciding to stay in Milwaukee is is great for small market teams. And honestly, if he wasn't coming to Portland, I wanted him to be there. So I hope he used one of the many pens that his teammates <laughs> brought him over the last few weeks. Because um, I think... Great. Now we don't have to listen to people talk about that for a whole season. I know. Because I didn't want to listen to them talk about it for a whole season. Because I hate listening to the only storyline being this person is going one into the, these three big market teams, no matter what. 
And it's like, Giannis never seemed like the guy that was automatically going to go to a big market team. So it's just kind of seems disingenuous that that was the storyline. And that seemed like it was going to be the storyline all season. So yay, not the storyline. Yay, Pat Connaughton gets to play with Giannis more. And he probably used one of his pens. So (laughs) I'm stoked about that. I am. The league is just wild. I don't even know what's going on. I don't know what's happening in San Antonio. I feel like they're going to blow up that team. What's going on with James Harden? There, there we go. I don't know, man. That is. Did you see the pictures of how he showed yes, up? Yes, yes. He, just... he showed up like Raymond Felton showed up to Portland. I, I don't think those are probably the most flattering. Uh, I think people tried, probably selected the least flattering angles. I mean, true. And I mean, it's quarantine. None of us are looking right. amazing right now. If I, you're doing quarantine right now, I don't know if you're doing it. I know. I'm great. I'm just shocked at how quickly things appear to have fallen apart for that franchise. Really? Well, like, it was just like a year ago, everything was in place and now it's just gone. Like, every I, part of it. And I feel so bad for John Wall because he's coming in after like two years of not playing and just wants to play basketball again. And then it's like, oh, this guy doesn't want to play with me. Like, who are the who are the young players that are supposed to come in? Like, they didn't have anybody behind Harden. They don't like who do they have? I don't know. I know know we're not supposed to feel sorry for him, but I feel I mean, I don't I don't feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for the fans. I always feel sorry for the fans. Uh, Cassidy's shaking her head. No, she doesn't. Sorry. I'm sorry, sorry fans, my, but you know I what? I feel sorry for my friend Britt, who's very I've been a Portland Trailblazer fan. This. <laughs> I'm 31, and I've been a Portland Trailblazer fan for 31 years. I've never seen a championship. You know Houston? You know who you saw win a championship? Clyde Drexler! <laughs> So I don't care. I can't. I can't feel too bad for you. No, because you you got to watch Clyde win a championship. As I cried in my living room as a child, (laughs) going that should have been us. So um, I'll eventually. I feel bad for Knicks fans if that if that helps my sympathy cards because they're Knicks fans. Um, That's true. I um I can't get enough Kyrie Irving. I know I'm probably the only person, but you know how I love chaos and like he, nobody knows what to do with him. And I am so here for it. I'm so here for people who approach things differently. He's. Did you watch his Instagram live story? I I have not watched the whole thing. I watched parts of it. So my favorite part, I saw a clip of it where Kevin, he and Kevin Durant were like talking about the game and like the gameplay and the game plan. And Kyrie was trying to explain about how he was Kevin Durant in a previous life. And so he was going to take all these post-ups. And um, Kevin was like, well, yeah, but we didn't really talk about you taking post-ups. And (laughs) Kyrie was like, well, yeah, like I'll take like seven or eight. And Kevin was like, I don't think we talked about that. (laughs) And basically, like it was very hard to follow. Um, so like, and also wanna, like, did Steve to... Nash disappear off the face of the planet? <laughs> you know, they were just riffing, man. You know, <laughs> they were just riffing. Um, but basically, it ended up with the the part I saw was the, like this little negotiation between them about like how many post ups Kyrie was going to agree to average per game. 
<laughs> but like, you know, with his legs crossed, talking about this whole thing. And, and then he finally did have a media availability, and I didn't read the whole thing. But as I understand it, he was there, and he answered questions, and he did what was expected of him, you know, as an NBA player, what you agree to in your thing. But he came up with the greatest phrase that I can't believe I didn't come up with and that, he, that he's calling them, them the, they're, that they're working on coming up with the championship collective. Like, is that not the most brilliant <laughs> description of a team? We're a championship collective. It's just, I just... It's, it's just so good. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I know that not everybody thinks it's funny, but I just, <laughs> I love watching the people get spun up about Kyrie yeah. and the media just losing their minds because he was refusing. I just love, I just am totally here for it. It just, I also think we're going to see a documentary in 30 years of Kyrie just being like, how I messed with everyone. Yes. <laughs> like, because he's going to put out the movie that he's going to make because that's what he is. He always has wanted to make movies and it's going to be like, ha ha ha, art. how I made so art. many people. How he's making art. And yeah, actually, to be to be to be real and honest, a performance artist. I love the concept of looking at the game as art and the approach of him as that he is making art. It is a whole fascinating different level when you think about it that way. You know, mm -hmm. like I was trying to think about like, you know, when we re when when we recap games, it's very much like, you know, this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And I was thinking what if when we recapped games, it was more like story time and it was more of a story with like a hero and a villain and an arc and like it, it would be a lot harder to like write an instant recap that way. <laughs> and, yeah. But I just I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated. Uh, but that is the that. game of basketball. I mean, the game of basketball isn't bullet points. Mm -hmm. What makes basketball great isn't the stats. Like it's the culmination of everything and in reality is performance art in so many ways. So, I mean, and I get, I get media people being frustrated, especially local media in Brooklyn being like, okay, so he's not going to talk to me. But my job is to make fans connect to him. And so like, I get it, but I think maybe this is a challenge to those media members to like, Figure out weird ways to get Kyrie Irving to talk to you, I guess. <laughs> but I also love Damien just being like, just do your media availability. Yeah, I know. Like, I this it. is part of the job and you're going to do it. And they're not telling you what to say. Just talk because it does give you a platform and a voice. And so I'm interested to see how he decides to use it. Yes. Oh, my God. I just... I'm so here for it. I think if he was on my team, maybe I would have a different, I don't know. I, actually, I think if he was on my team, I'd still be the same way just because, <laughs> just because of the chaos. Well, we should wrap it up here uh, because we have a special guest who joined us earlier tonight. We're going to add her next. Um, anything else we want to discuss before we roll our interview with Yasmin? No, I think we're good. Let's just wait and see what happens that. when they fly down to Denver. 
All right. Well, let me go ahead and introduce Yasmin. Yasmin is a, a writer for the Basketball News and the Dishes and Dimes podcast. Dishes and Dimes podcast. We'll talk about it a little bit in the interview, but it is a, um, well, it's a collective, I guess you could say, because it's a whole, it's like a bunch of women. And they're the like, reigning champions. Yes, so you could call it a championship collective. Not anymore. They are not. Remember the, uh, the. Oh gosh, there was a whole season, wasn't there? Right. Re- remember the, the Lakers don't the, exist in my mind. Lakers. Okay, yeah. Let's. You know what? The Ra- Raptors are the reigning champions. Yeah. <laughs> my mind, that was really real. Too. <laughs> That's the thing. God, my brain is dead. Oh, oh someone send more coffee. Well, let's wrap it up. So we're gonna go ahead and roll our interview with Yasmin from Dishes and Dimes. Yasmin, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We are so happy to have you on as our guest. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So uh, could we start off by having you tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you got into basketball? Sure. Um, I've, like, I'm from Toronto, so I've always been a fan of the Raptors. Um, but it was in the last couple years that I've kind of become uh, super interested in like the details of the game and you know understanding the sport um, from an analytical point of view because um, it kind of gave you more in-depth understanding um, about you know systems around the league um, and it shows that you know the sport is pretty multifaceted um, when you kind of look under the um, facade or like just from the superficial sense you know what you see on the surface so um, I kind of got interested in the in the uh, insides of the game, uh, and I've always wanted to be a writer. So I just you know naturally just put those two things that I really enjoy together. Um, and the last I think it was you know within the last year I started writing more frequently, um, and just you know a few months ago I got into um, having my pieces published. So um, and it kind of coincided when um, Sandy um, Sandy signed up on Twitter, um, you know suggested. Uh, Toronto-based uh, women's NBA podcast. Um, and that kind of just coincided with what I wanted to do anyway. So it kind of came up at the same time, uh, which is perfect for me because it, it gave me like um, some real world uh, reps before I actually got into writing so that I could discuss it with other people, discuss my ideas. So it's been really fun. Um, and yeah, just uh, I think for this next season, I'm going to be doing work with uh, Yahoo Sports and Basketball News um, throughout the season. So, um, if anyone wants to read what I do, (laughs) they can, uh, look out for it on those, uh, publications. That's awesome. And how, and so I'm really interested in how you got involved with, uh, Dishes and Dimes. So I know you talked a little bit about it, but how is that going? Uh, yeah, it's been great so far. I love it. Um, just having other people to discuss basketball with regularly is really fun. Um, and it's, it's just so casual, which I enjoy. It's just, you know, all of us discussing what we want to discuss um, and people tuning in to listen. So uh, I, I think like it's probably like this for every city, but, um, the, you know, Toronto side of Twitter would watch games together. And then you kind of just um, become friendly with these people. Um, so that's why our uh, podcast podcast discusses the NBA as a whole. But we're actually quite local, like everything's kind of through a Canadian lens. Um we're all within the same city. 
So I guess if people are interested in hearing another perspective, not because not simply because we are women, but also because um, we're, you know, in another country watching from the outside in kind of. <laughs> so I think that people have like enjoyed that perspective, um, you know, which is not surprising. It's not like a typical thing like these uh, female led sports podcasts are, you know, far and few uh, in between. So it's nice to see them, you know, cropping up everywhere. It's a it's a ro- kind of a rotating cast of hosts, correct? Yeah, there's a I think there's like eight of us total. Yeah, there's wow. eight total. <laughs> yeah, so um, it feels like there's so many people to spread the work between, but it ends up still being quite a bit because uh, we also have the live show on Tuesdays with basketballnews.com, and I think um, today there was a seven p.m. show um, where it was like an NBA Jeopardy style which was pretty fun. So every Tuesday we have a live show um, that's streamed on the basketballnews.com Twitter account. Oh my gosh, Cassidy, could you do live? I'm not sure I could do live. (laughs) (laughs) It's not as to me and Tara just laughing in a corner (laughs) while everybody else is talking. It honestly, it delves into that. Like by the, like at first we were like, Oh God, can we do a live show? But um, we had some reps uh, during the off season, 2020, like, throughout the summer when there was no basketball and we were doing it with hoop talks and it's honestly, it's less stressful in a sense because I feel like with the podcast we're, we kind of feel pressure to like follow a, um, you know, like a kind of regimented schedule of what we discuss and our rundown and maybe reoccurring segments. So um, with the live show, it's actually much more free flowing. You kind of just read comments that people are making on the stream um, and you just literally discuss on the fly. So I actually, it, they're, they're pretty interesting. I like it. I like the dynamics. Not that bad. That's um, awesome. If people haven't checked out Dishes and Dimes, you definitely should. Even like, I'm not a Toronto person. I'm not a Raptors fan, but I really enjoy what you guys are doing. Thank you. <laughs> that was the goal. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about being a Raptors fan right now because you guys are in a kind of a weird situation where the team is not in town. So like, yeah. <laughs> how's that going over? Uh, it kind of sucks because this would have been the season I would have had like access, like a press access to the place. So of course they're not even in the country when that happens, which is really annoying, but you know, I'll take them up on it next season. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really sucks because it's probably or likely going to be Larry's last year as a Raptor. So it really sucks that um, Canadians can't, re- can't really give him a send off um, because, you know, he's like a fan favorite here. So in that way, it does kind of suck. And um, the the Raptors did flame out of the playoffs, you know, a one possession game in game seven, which was kind of a heartbreaker. So usually after a heartbreaking playoff loss, you see your team play for the first time again and you want to give them the extra oomph of, you know, life. But we can't really do that, um, which I think sucks for like fans in general. Like we can't really see our, you know, favorite teams um, and not not, not simply um, being in the city to see them all the time, but just had knowing that you have the hometown audience there to give them the extra push kind of sucks. So I hear that they're going to be one of the few teams in the league that let fans in the arena because of just how lax Florida's laws are regarding um, fan viewership, which is just insane. So apparently there are going to be about 4,000 fans allowed in the arena. So I can imagine a lot of dispat um, Canadians heading to Florida, which, yeah, it sounds horrific. <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah, so teams are desperate. They, they've they been losing money now. This is the second year of um, negative um, return on fan viewership and stuff. So, you know, all those ticket sales. 
Um, so I wasn't too surprised, but I was still kind of shocked because that would not have happened in Canada because we've been in a pretty strict lockdown for months now. <laughs> Nothing is open here. <laughs> yeah. um, so they definitely would have not. They, they had their bid rejected by the federal government to play in Canada because um, it would have required in and out travel with two weeks quarantine between games, which is impossible. <laughs> so. Why didn't they choose somewhere like Buffalo, like right across? the? Yeah, that was I honestly I thought so. But I guess players, you know, if you're not going to be in Toronto, you probably want to be in a warm place um, so I can end the season goes throughout the winter months here. So uh, maybe they want those longer days. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh, that fan thing is that. Yeah, me and I hope I'm interested to see safe. which. I'm interested to see which teams um, actually adopt it. So that's the only one I've heard so far. Yeah, I know Portland has announced that there's there's not going to be anyone in the stands. Uh, <laughs> Good choice. Media, so for a while here, um, which I think is a is heartbreaking as it is. I think it's a very good decision. So I will be excited yeah. to be back in the building when it is safe and healthy to do so. Um, yeah. Until likewise. then, I'll be on my couch. <laughs> <laughs> we have the cardboard cutout option. Do you guys have that? um i have no idea i think the blue jays games they had something similar to that over the summer if i can recall um but you know we already have a vaccine um in canada and it's being administered now so uh, it would be really cool if um after all-star break they can relocate to canada so you know if they fast track this vaccine like i've been seeing um it's already being administered for um people at the front of the queue um, that would be really cool. So I, I think Bobby Webster, the GM of Toronto, mentioned that he was pretty interested in um, the the idea of relocating midseason. It wouldn't be easy, um, but I, I would imagine that that's something they'd be rushing to do. Right on. Well, I hope um, I hope that you get to see your team return in a in a safe manner. Because yeah, I don't know what I would do with them being so far away. It's still weird, like having them be in the same place but not able to go see them. But like the extra layer of having them be so far away has got to be tough. Yeah. Well, we had an idea based on something that we found that you wrote um, in your blog. So uh, we. And I'm referring to your article about the most demoralizing um, basketball. Uh, when offense becomes taboo, the five most offensive, <laughs> demoralizing offensive plays. I don't know why yeah. I mix that up every time I say it. I was trying to explain it to my husband and my hum- husband was like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> demoralizing offensive plays. And he's like, that sounds terrible. And he's like, oh, you mean offensive plays? Yeah. <laughs> You want to tell us a little bit about that article, and then uh, we'll get started. We've each come up with a few different um, uh, def- uh, demoralizing offensive plays that we're going to compare. Yeah. What was the inspiration behind that? Um, I've always been like interested in how offense and defense interact. I think especially because um, last year, uh, watching the Raptors play with Nick Nurse, they, they were up there as a historic uh, defensive team. Um, and I've never really like experienced that as a fan of a team. Like I've seen historic defensive teams, but when you watch them day in and day out, you realize that it can be, you know, just as nuanced as offense. Um, but it, it kind of just, it, it exists in a, it, the interaction's interesting because with offense, you like you're attacking and then with defense, you're trying to hold off the attack. Um, uh, but we noticed the flair and the, you know, the theater and pageantry behind offense more often than, uh, defense because it's less aesthetically, p- uh, pleasing. 
it can require players being put in like weird positions or getting dunked on. So I wanted to talk about um, the the plays that I think are just like they set defenses back because you kind of just have to uh, brace yourself or take a moment to process <laughs> what just happened. Um, so that was a small list that I made. Right on. Well, we, uh, as fans of a much more offensive-minded team than defensive, (laughs) I found it easier than if I'd had to choose defensive plays. And I may surprise everybody with one defensive play. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's interesting because, like, um, you'll see, like, Raptors Twitter during a game and you're just like, oh, look at the way he's fighting over those screens. Oh, my God. Did you guys see how he stayed with so-and-so? Like, all of the things, all our highlights, our steals, our our blocks are, like, it's complete. Like, we're noticing, like, the details of someone's footwork on, like, how fast they slide backwards. Like, it's just so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Look how fast he moved backwards. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, who wants to get us started? Cassidy, do you want to get us started? Yeah. I think one of my favorite um, demoralizing offensive plays has to be the nutmeg. Um, That's a good Demoralizing one. on multiple sport fronts, but especially basketball. And I think the one that always sticks in my mind is when Trey Young did it to Trevor Ariza when he was playing for the Blazers. And Trevor Ariza was so mad just <laughs> so i know the one mad. you're talking about <laughs> and he after the game he's like just i'm not with the funnies was just what he kept saying so to not being with the funnies but i am pro funnies and pro nutmeg um so definitely <laughs> one of my favorite of those plays how about you yasmin um, I'm gonna say I I'm, I think I mentioned it in the, I think I mentioned it in the article. Sorry, um, it was the ISO step back three. I really enjoy that one because I, I realized that the amount of how like demoral, demoralizing a, a play is is kind of connected to um, the amount of sustained eye contact you can make. <laughs> and I feel like on the step back three, the eye contact is just so sustained because you have the shooter who shoots and then they're running backwards, making direct eye contact with a guy who's like trying to get back on defense too. So they're just facing each other for like a solid 10 seconds after that. So, that is- um, amazing yeah that's the that's the play I noticed that I'm like why does it make me feel like so uncomfortable when it happens and I just realized yeah because they're just looking at each other for a while um and you know after that it would probably be like a like a um like just a dunk that just kind of stuffs you under the rim I love the whole added element yeah. of the eye contact yeah <laughs> I really had not thought about that and I love that I've never even thought about these guys making eye contact with each other at all <laughs> on the court. Have you ever? Thought I'm not about sure that? if it's. I'm not sure if it's the new camera angles, but I've noticed it more often because I think that there might be. I think they're letting us see players from eye level more often. I could be wrong, but yeah, it's something that I just know. Or maybe it's because offenses like there are just more players in the league who can do ISO threes nowadays. You know, with all the three pointing and like how perimeter. Um, offense is like such a important um, trait to have. So I think I'm just noticing it more often, you know, whereas it was something that used to be like an exclusively Steph Curry thing. That is so, that is so interesting. Cause now I'm thinking about like, you know, like when I played soccer a few times, I've like the really stuck out, like 
I remember looking the goalie in the eyes as I scored on him and nothing ever felt better than that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just like I'm looking you right in the eyes. Well, and because it gives you a, it's like a whole extra way to like deflect someone's attention off of something, mm-hmm. you know, right. to do magic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a no look pass or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm totally going to be looking for that. Well, <laughs> As a fan of Damian Lillard, um, I had to go with the logo shot. Um, right. I think that's just got to be, like, as a defender, you just got to be like, come on. Like, and, like, I totally get Paul George when he said that was a bad shot about that 37-foot shot that Damian took over him to win that game. Because, like, that is not a shot that a normal player would be expected to make and it's yeah it's just kind of like I don't know that's got to be just crushing soul crushing especially when it's like to win the series that's the extra bonus yeah and the fact that it wasn't the first time for him doing that like um it's just it's a shot that you kind of just have to live with because I feel like there's like a few players in the league that have a license to do that they're usually like veteran point guards who like have their, <laughs> they've collected their dues, you know. Um, or then you have like the once in a blue moon young talents like Trey Young. Trey Young. Yeah. So, um, there is like a very, if you think about how many plays there are in basketball, there's like, I think that one's the most exclusive. Well, and it's oh, so, yeah. you're so like on stage because, you know, there's like not a, but you're not in the middle of a <clears> crowd. <throat> you're like the two of you are in the spotlight as you face up against each other, like far away from everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah, it's going to change stuff too now that people are pulling up more often because we're seeing it even preseason, people trying to guard them way out there and getting foul calls out there because they're, afraid Dame's going to shoot from 400 feet or whatever. I mean, 40 <laughs> feet, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, everyone wants, um, like, a, a big-bodied wing that can kind of score. Like, they want their players to be built like Kawhi and stuff. But I think, like, small point guards are so unappreciated um, because they just they, they usually have to be more skilled and more opportunistic or, like, smarter <laughs> than other players mm-hmm. just to compensate for their lack of height. So... Yeah, I I feel like they're an underappreciated, you know, archetype. Yeah, that that reminds me of my uh, my defensive demoralizing play, which as a short person was my go to play as a basketball player. And that was the poke behind steel. So and I love it. I think it is just so often a player is dribbling and they look so darn confident. And you just run up behind them and are just like, boop. Yeah. And it's gone. <laughs> and this, I just had to make the list, even though it's defense. Yeah. It was no, I favorite. agree with you. <laughs> Same with steals, because they also make you look like you just don't know how to dribble. <laughs> uh, like, you could be James Harden, and if you have the ball stolen, you're like, can he, like, is his handle overrated? <laughs> like, it makes you, it makes you question it. Um, and yeah, I feel like it's probably also one of the hardest defensive place to do because you kind of have to like anticipate a lot and guess mm-hmm. where they're going to dribble and have good hands. Um, yeah. So yeah, I always love a, a, a good steal too. Yeah. You always got to, and then the eye contact thing is if they're looking somewhere else on the court, it's way easier. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, if they're making eye contact with that defender, I'm, I'm coming up there. 
Yeah. Um, you also get a lot of fouls that way if you're a fifth grade girl. So. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Yasmin? Next, you got another one? Uh, defensive play? Or offensive. Or, uh, off- or offensive. offensive. <laughs> Demoralizing in general. Okay, let's think. Let me think about something that's not on. Okay, I'm going to say maybe like a dribble drive where the player like cannot keep up with the driver. That's a good one where you just get someone looking really slow and old. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a, that's also a good one. I see like um, Kyrie's known for that. Who else? Kemba. Kemba. Walker with um, that first step. Definitely. Uh, Fred Van Vliet. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, CJ McCollum as well. He does that a lot. Um, even Bogdanovich. Like, there's a, there are a few players who, like, just make you look really, like, unfit. <laughs> so um, I would say that's that's also pretty demoralizing because then you're – it's also embarrassing because, like, your team has to make up for your lack of, like – if you didn't keep up, someone's rotating to make up for your mistake. So if you're not on, on your team as that guy who's always losing his math, <laughs> that could be kind of embarrassing. Yeah, Definitely. What do you guys think about this one? The um, when a three-point shooter catches their defender and jumping into them and makes them get a foul, even though they were doing absolutely yep. everything right. I feel like that's just demoralizing on so many levels, like a fan level, everybody on the court level. Everybody's like, "Oh, one of these," unless you really need it, and then they're like, "Oh, one of these." Um, <laughs> Like just demoralizing overall, I think. Yeah, it usually catches you like super off balance. Um, yeah, it's like, and it's funny, like you have players like Steph and Harden who do that multiple times a game, like three times a game or something. They'll get like those and like four point plays. Sorry, um, the and ones on the three. Like that's so. Like as a fan, when you see that, you're like, that was completely unavoidable. Like you could have avoided that. That did not have to happen. <laughs> It's just so hard on the defender because, like, the defender, like, is doing everything right, you know? I mean, that, but the the way the really crafty guys throw themselves into, into them, like, by the letter of the law, they're the ones who get the ball. And, like, Damian Lillard does it a lot. And, uh, like, it just, it's got to, if you're the defender, you just must hate that so much. Definitely. Yeah. Who's got some more? Well, I think my, I've got one that I think is just demoralizing for the sake of demoralizing in reality and not even just a play, just a moment in basketballness, which I'm always looking for the ridiculous replayability ways to make a game a little bit more spicy. And I think the, uh, the classic step over. You've got LeBron over Draymond. You got Pippen over Ewing. You got AI <laughs> over Ty Lu. You got Hazonia over um, uh, over Antetokounmpo in 2018. And Antetokounmpo said, I'm going to punch him next time. I mean, <clears throat> the step over, it, it's demoralizing. It's spicy. I love it. Offense, defense, any which way I can get it. Oh, that one makes me feel like the most uncomfortable. That's the one I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Especially if the play wasn't too impressive. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And it's just hilarious. Yep. Yeah. That's a great There should be a highlight reel of just those. Unimpressive plays followed by step overs 
And players yeah, just sure looking kind of like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> I'm sure it's out there. <laughs> well, YouTube, I will find you. Yes, Cassidy has a new project. Well, you know, my favorite, like I've said this like nine bazillion times, um, but, you know, Gary Trent jumping over Paul George, who was uh, wrestling um, uh, Wendy and Gabriel on the ground in transition. So it wasn't like, a, hey, I'm better than you. I'm going to step over you. It was like, you're in my way and I'm in transition and the ball is right there. So I'm going to jump over you. But that must have been really rough, too. <laughs> <laughs> Cassie, do you have any more on your list? I mean, I have an honorary one that, again, is not really a play, but I think the proper celebration can be very demoralizing, i.e. the wave. So oh, like I think, wave? <laughs> yeah, I think when you wave goodbye to your opponent after you make a shot, there isn't quite anything as demoralizing oh, yeah. as yeah. that. I was telling you to go home, clock out. <laughs> yeah, it's over. We'll see you next time. Well, I wonder what they're going to come up with this season. I don't know. Yasmin, have you had like any, you know, more memorable, uh, you know, Toronto moments where one of your players did something that like all the fans remember? Like, you know, like we've got the, the Damian Lillard wave and all that stuff. What what are some that all the fans moments? that all the fans? What? Sorry. What are some of the moments that all the Toronto fans remember that players did that demoralized oh. the other team? Um, oh Lord, let's think. Kyle Lowry, I'm sure, has done. Oh, he has plenty. <laughs> um, he had a half court like heave that was a game winner versus the Miami Heat in 2016, which was awesome. Um, I'm gonna say Game Six of the NBA Finals. Um, he had like a triple double. Um, and he had like 11 points in a couple minutes, like in a minute or something to open up the game, which is really nice because he had such a bad reputation for his playoff performances prior to that. Um, you know, despite being a plus on the floor, I feel like he was kind of dragged down um, because the team was underqualified, you know, to get as far as they did time and time again. Um, but that was a great time. Like th that was, and it was nice because the half of the arena was filled with Canadians who go to like, who work in Silicon Valley and stuff. <laughs> so they were singing Oh Canada in the arena, which was awesome. Um, Siakam's game one in the finals was also great because, um, he was the 28th pick for the Toronto Raptors. Um, and they have a knack for just finding ridiculous talent at the end of the draft. And, you know, he's someone who's second team all NBA um, and he had 32 points that game. So it was kind of like seeing a guy who had absolutely like no real skill. He was just energetic and could defend. And he was like a G league guy to becoming this polished player, you know, who's among the top in the Eastern conference. Like that's just insane. So it was kind of his coming out uh, game, which was nice. Um, and then the, the Sixers game winner. I'm watching the Sixers now, so I remembered it. <laughs> that one is like um, an all-time shot that I got to, you know, see happen, which was like, my goodness. Like, you don't realize what happened until a minute later. Like, whoa. <laughs> You're talking about the one that bounced on the rim, like, yeah, the, the, yeah. Kawhi took that bounced the miracle like shot. Times. And there's so, something demoralizing about a bounce, even if you can't control it. And he squatted. Like, he squatted and saw the shot bounce like half a dozen times <laughs> everyone was holding their breath so you gotta that's like prolonged eye contact right there <laughs> that must have been amazing to have that be your team i mean it's just like it was sweet it was weird it was weird man because <laughs> it's interesting 
No, I wasn't in the arena. I was watching it live. Um, but my street, I live all the way in West Toronto, um, you know, where, where people tend to live, you know, that the, the downtown core has like, it's, it's not quite um, suburban, like there aren't really families and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, I live all the way in the West. And then everyone like kind of lives in the all the way in the East as well. Uh, and my street was just honking, <laughs> which is crazy because um, I think that the Raptors and um, uh, Blazers are actually really comparable in terms of just the, the sustained success. Um, are the, the both successes of the team kind of hinge on their backcourt. Um, you know, you had DeRozan and Lowry kind of bring, making basketball in Toronto popular again after the Vinciers. Um, and then you have CJ and Dame, um, you know, keeping the team above water, keeping them, um, you know, worth fans watching for so many years. Um, and then, like, you know, recently they've pivoted, they've pivoted as Larry's gotten old. So um, it, we're kind of, as fans, kind of seeing a new iteration of the team after like half a decade of the old, the old, um, you know, uh, schools of thought. <laughs> Yeah, you said earlier that um, you're thinking that this is likely to be or maybe Kyle Lowry's last year um, uh, as a Raptor. Is that because you he's getting up there and you think he's going to retire? Or do you think is it the end of his contract and you think he's going to go somewhere and um, try to win a championship? Well, like another championship. What What's up with him? Um, I honestly don't know. Um, I, I say it because it's a lot of uncertainty and he's still really good. But at, at the same time, he's a year younger than Chris Paul. So um, you kind of have to weigh your options. Are you going to give a 34 to 35-year-old player another contract? He'll be 35 by then. Mm-hmm. Um, for, you know, he's still really, really talented. He's still guaranteed 20 and, you know, eight assists right there. Um, so you, you he's worth the money and he's worth the years. But does he really align with your core? Because... Right now, the Raptors want to build with Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, um, OG Ananobi, and their rookies. Um, you know, you, but now, you know, with Giannis signing his full-time, his full, you know, five-year term contract, um, I think that the Raptors might be more, more willing to pay Lowry. But it's, it's one of those things that's just so hard to predict because um, even though he he won a, team, he won a, a, a championship with a team that he had all the sustained, um, you know, regular season success with, which is like the goal of any franchise player. Mm-hmm. Um, so does he want to retire in that glory? You know, maybe stick it out another couple of years and finally finish off in Toronto and retire? Or does he want to go and ring chase, which is also like super valid for a player that's um, kind of on the fringe of the Hall of Fame? Like, you know, a lot of people would say he's a Hall of Famer now, but I think he would want to bolster his case and maybe get another ring or two. Yeah, that's uh, it is interesting what you brought up about like some similarities between um, between the Blazers and the Raptors. Before we let you go, I know that you wrote um, one uh, a couple of articles uh, that had a little bit of detail about um, the Trailblazers and in particular their off season. Um, it sounds like you were uh, you thought that the Blazers did pretty good in the off season. Yeah, I thought they had a really good offseason. Um, I wrote in a piece before that when I was checking out the West Middling team. So as we know, the Blazers had some injured players. Um, they kind of um, they tried their best in the playoffs. And, you know, they had the bubble run where they were looking really refreshed. Um, but then um, I said that they have kind of an ultimatum where do they pivot and perhaps really go into winning a championship and trade for another superstar to be alongside Dame? 
um, you know, get him that ring while he's getting up there in his prime? Or do they want to run with this core that they have and perhaps see what they have at full health uh, in the Western Conference? So it seems that they're um, going with the latter option. um, And I feel like they navigated the offseason about as well as you could if you're going with um, option number two. So um, they got Dennis, uh, they got, sorry, Derek Jones Jr. Um, They got Robert Covington. I feel like that was the exact, those two are kind of like the exact kind of players they're missing. Like, Athletic six seven guys that are strong. They can guard um, one to four. I'd say super versatile, so they could deal with um, your Hardens, LeBrons, Kawhis, Paul Georges, um, which I think is the exact type of player that the Blazers would struggle with. Uh, I remember like the Raptors played them. Um, uh, I think it was the last time we played the Blazers, which was maybe like late twenty nineteen. Or tw- late 2020, sorry, before uh, the shutdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like there was no one who was really challenging Pascal Siakam. It was just point guards and centers. And then in between, everyone was kind of too small. Um, and I feel like that build of player where you're talking about giant guys that can just run the floor and score and kind of do anything um, is becoming more common in the league. So to, for them to get like a Robert Covington who thrives off of guarding that exact kind of player, we've seen Covington um, get on... Um, LeBron James, we've seen him um, just really deal with um, great players. And it's, it sucks because I feel like the Sixers could have used him too, <laughs> um, which was, you know, kind of sad because they once had him in their grasp. So, um, and Derek Jones Jr., he doesn't really shoot, but he's uh, a great defender, super crazy athletic, uh, dunk champion, uh, and he's kind of really fun to watch. So he'll be great when um, Dame is like playing with speed. So, I think your guys, you guys are going to see like a lot of lobs and um, you know running dunks and everything. It'll be it'll be amazing because the Blazers are kind of I feel like they lack um, some athleticism right now. They're kind of a ground bound team that can shoot. Um, so for them to get like a bouncy player is going to be like a really nice addition. Gosh, it's so exciting! Oh, in the, <laughs> the preseason, dunks. they've they've thrown three lobs. None of them have worked, but they're trying, <laughs> and that's the important part. But Derek yeah. Jones Jr. has made at least two three pointers, so that's mm-hmm. interesting. There, yeah. <laughs> I am here for it because no one said that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it has been so awesome talking to you and we're going to have to bring you back later in the season and talk even more Toronto Portland things cuz I think the similarities are pretty pretty they line up pretty well. Um yeah. but do you want to let us know how people can find your work and follow you and all of the amazing things that you do? I think so. Um, they can follow me on Twitter at Carmelo Dramas uh, H after the O. Uh, and I have some pieces coming out for Yahoo Sports. I've written a few, a couple for them already uh, for the upcoming season. Um, and basketballnews.com. Uh, I release a, an article for them about like every week or so. Um, so yeah, like they can check out my work there. Um, I, I feel like I'm going to be doing a lot more um, game analysis um, for these publications because I want to kind of pivot as well there um, with an active season going on. Awesome. Well, we are excited for all of it. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much.
All right, that is it for this episode of the What Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please go to iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Leave us a rating, a review if you should feel like it. We would so appreciate that. We're trying to get people to discover our podcast, and we know that there are people out there who like what we are doing, and we are so grateful to you for supporting us. If you want to find more of our content, you can find me at on uh, at you can find me on Twitter at TCBBIGGS. That's TCB Biggs. You can find Cassidy at Cassidy Gamut. And you can find the What Podcast at We Have a Take on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week.